Hi, I'm Trevor. Hi, I'm Kyle. Uh, today we are talking about the movie Nothing But Trouble. Uh, this is a movie I saw quite a few times when I was a kid. Uh, really creepy movie, and Trevor has not seen it. No, I have not. Well, uh. he has now. He just watched it a couple of days ago, but in doing so, he is catching up on cinema. That is correct. All right, so it is from 1991. It's technically a horror comedy. Uh, not too many of those. Uh, I know a few movies that kind of relate to this. Yeah, it, it has kind of like a uncomfortable vibe more so than like a horror vibe. Um, there's clearly like some inspirations taken from like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think. Yeah, like in particular, like the aesthetic of it and just the, the concept of a captive family. Very um, much, because John Candy and the other police lady are cousins. Yes, he, he calls her cousin, if, yeah. if I remember right. Very much, very very weird family. So, Kyle, how is it you? How is it you came about this movie? Like you said, you watched it when you were young. Honestly, I think it mo- it came down to Chevy Chase being on the front cover, uh, seeing Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation. Uh, not a big fan of European Vacation. Uh, that was the smutty one. It's not good. It's, there's, it's, there's a lot more nudity and like awkwardness in that one. There is a lot of nudity in that one, um, but. The reason why we probably watched it was because of Chevy Chase, and we also really like Fletch. I still really like Fletch. Oh, um, yeah. That's a dad movie. Oh, Funny Farm. Actually, I think Funny Farm... It's a tie between Funny Farm and Fletch. Funny Farm is really fun. I had a cool substitute that showed us Funny Farm. It's a lot. Really it was like, fun. I liked it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, we is basically Chevy Chase could do no wrong in our household, okay. so we always have Chevy Chase movies around. Um, but I think the star of this is actually... One, Dan Aykroyd, clearly, uh, playing more than one character. Uh, and Taylor Negron, which we'll get into. <laughs> uh, he's the, uh, he's the, the Colombian gentleman? Brazilian. Brazilian. Oh, I'm racist. Brazilian heirs. Brazilian heirs. That's yes. correct. Correct. So it is, uh, the, it's actually written by Peter Aykroyd. Yes. And then it was a screenplay and directed by his brother, uh, Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Um, I've. I shopped around on the the Wikipedia and the IMDb about this movie uh, after I watched it, yes. um, not before, because I think that's kind of unfair to the movie. That's true. But um, I guess Peter Aykroyd was the uh, doorman at Chevy Chase's apartment complex, oh, the geez. guy that pulled his car around in the garage. I, you know, I looked at a picture of him uh, after I found out it was him. I'm like, well, what does Peter Aykroyd look like? Because yeah, Dan Aykroyd yeah. has got a he's giant got a, head. He's got a very distinctive potato-shaped head. Like, <laughs> his brother, I don't think his brother really looks like him at all. No, he didn't look much like him. It's not like uh, Brian Doyle Murray, who's also in the movie, who, you know, <laughs> cannot be mistaken for any other Murray clan. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, there's another... There's another Murray, and he's in the show Shameless. I think it's, he's in he's in some stuff, but oh. he doesn't even look like a Murray. There's always one of those. I mean, it's like Adam Baldwin. Like I know he's not part of the Baldwin clan yeah, yeah, clan yeah, yeah. proper, yeah. but he always gets thrown in the mix. Oh, speaking of Baldwin, Daniel Baldwin. Daniel Baldwin. There's a lot of this. brothers of, of famous people in this yeah, movie. There is actually. Yeah, Daniel Baldwin shows up as a drunk driver for one scene. <laughs> he is a hammer driver. I think he was method in this film. <laughs> I think he had coke on him too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, yes, he had. He had the signature white packet or white satchel of something or other. Yeah, that's the '80s. Um, so, like, like you said, it actually you said very creepy. It came off more as creepy than it did a yeah, horror uncomfortable. Movie. Uncomfortable. And, and I mean, there's not any monsters, but there's a lot of strange. There's it's like the Burbs, I guess. Yes, very very similar to the Burbs, actually. 
one of yeah, I really like the Burbs just because of that. Like, yeah, it, you, you, it, that's I would consider that a horror comedy, leaning mm-hmm. more towards comedy. Um, who's the big dude? Because I actually I compare this movie to Little Monsters, which I think is the best example of a movie like this, where Little Monsters is for kids. It's supposed yeah. to be a kids movie. You got. Fred Savage, and then you've got Howie Mandel. Oh, also a brother. His Ben Savage is in there. Oh my god. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> um, but they they build on the idea of uh, monsters under the bed. Yes. And when you actually get to that world, a lot of the monsters in there are really creepy. Oh yeah, I remember the like the actually legit evil monster guy, like yes. the big bully character. Yeah. I remember some shots of him like actually terrifying me when I was a kid. A boy really, really creeped me out. Both before he got his face ripped off, and after, <laughs> like he, he was very creepy. That big dude in mm-hmm. the burbs. Uh, <laughs> uh, he is in the burbs. Uh, but yeah, I think that was it. Was I think that's probably the 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 biggest creepy movie that was like it was for kids. But okay. I still to this day am creeped out by some of the uh, elements in that. Well, there's a. There seems to have been like a, a thing in Hollywood, like a movement of some sort that was veering towards this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a playful kind of creepy, but it seemed like there was just something in the air where we had a lot of movies of that type, especially in the 80s, where it was like, yeah, there's kids in the lead roles, but the content is actually a little bit more adult than you'd expect. Yes. I like I mean, you could argue, like, The Goonies is pretty cartoonish, but it has its scary moments. Yeah. And, like, Temple of Doom is simultaneously, like, the most cartoonish and the most violent and intense Indiana Jones movie in some ways. So I mean, it, it's this weird, like, strange message that just doesn't fit very well, where it's like, we're giving you two things. We're showing you the left and giving you the right. See, I, <laughs> so for, like, Indiana Jones, I actually saw the third one first, which is my favorite still, and then the first one, and then I saw the second one, which is Temple of Doom. Yes. And... I was not expecting a man's heart to be ripped out of his chest. I'm like, wait, is this Indiana Jones? Yeah, yeah. Th- I believe that. Maybe it was just we were playing more with the practical effects in that. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where it came from. I think part of it, though, and I think we're actually in the middle of another one of these generational shifts, is uh, when you think of the people who are making the movies and their relative age range. Mm-hmm. So the people who were making the movies in the 80s are probably in their 30s, mm-hmm. which means they probably grew up with movies in the 50s. Mm-hmm. What kind of movies were they making in the 50s? Like like drive-in theater, like mm-hmm. like horror movies like Them and like recycled universal horror movies and stuff. And stuff like that was being replayed on television. And like that was the age of like horror TV show hosts, mm-hmm. like Grandpa, the, like Grandpa from the Munsters and, yeah. and like later on like Elvira and like... I think Vampira was the one from uh, from uh, Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. So like you had all this entire generation of horror fans who grew up like being served up these old classic horror movies on TV after they'd aged a bit, and so they're looking at them not as things to be terrified of, but things to be entertained by. Mm-hmm. And when you put that through a fil- few filters and you have the desire to serve that same feeling up to the audience, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with like splatter horror movies and stuff that it's like it's winking at you. Yeah. It's like it's not really meant to out and out scare you. It's like it, we're trying to have fun here, you yeah. know? Dead alive. We're going to put crazy <laughs> shit on the screen. And yeah, it's going to make you uncomfortable, especially if you're a little kid. But if yeah. you can get past that barrier, like I don't know about you, but um, a lot of the 
clearest memories I have from my childhood were instances where I was scared. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's kind of an addictive feeling that a lot of people latched onto, and maybe we just got it like a, a big wave of that in the 80s. This, and I think we're getting that now, too. This kind of, now that you mentioned that, I, this kind of this movie kind of felt like a Tales from the Crypt episode, except it was a full-length movie. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Um, a big theme with this movie, to mm. me anyway, is, um, well, just to throw it out there right away, I guess, um, mismanaged resources is the phrase that came to mind like okay. while, while I was watching this movie. And I guess we'll come back to that later. But okay. Well, let me give a brief, just a brief rundown. Of yeah, for, the, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, I guess we should lay it out to you. Um, uh, it's, it's best known as a movie that sunk a man's directing career before it even got started. <laughs> so <laughs> He directed something else. I can't think of what else Dan Aykroyd directed, but apparently it's not very good. Uh, so Demi Moore and Chevy Chase's character, uh, she needs to get somewhere. She needs to go Atlantic to... Atlantic City. Yeah. yeah. And he's going to drive her there because he's trying to he's trying to hook up with her uh and i guess taylor negron the brazilianaires yes uh he and his sister he and his sister they are clients of chevy chase and they pretty much just take themselves with him yeah they invite themselves yeah. along for this road trip um so they end up going through i guess a speed trap um john candy tries to pull him over and trying to impress demi moore's character chevy chase speeds up and they end up getting pulled over and they have to go see the judge, who is played by Dan, Aykro Dan Aykroyd. Now, you think you're going to go to a courthouse. No, they end up at a house. And it is a rundown house in the middle of a, I guess, a junkyard? or Yeah, it's like junkyard slash sculpture park <laughs> is how I describe it. <laughs> it looks, it reminds me a lot of House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, um, very soon. Which is, again, that same. Rob Zombie had seen... Texas Chainsaw Massacre before he made that movie. <laughs> I, I have a feeling maybe he lived parts of that movie because he seems obsessed with that aesthetic. Like, he, it works its way into like everything he's done. Almost every single movie. Uh, except for 31, which is not not great. <laughs> yeah. um, so, the reason why I had him, had Trevor watch this is I've been actually telling him for a while to watch this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I managed to get him to watch St. Elmo's Fire, which maybe one day... Yeah, that's a stay tuned. <laughs> uh, I think we both have plenty to say about that pile of garbage. Yeah, it's 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 a great movie. White People Problems the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's beyond that. Uh, so one of, the, one of the things I like about this movie is I love the, the, the makeup on Dan Aykroyd. Um, both how they make it funny and they can also they also make it very creepy. Uh, I think it's really good. I think the makeup it he he looks old but he almost looks dead at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good makeup and mm -hmm. you can tell by the shape of the dude's head that it's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Um, and I think what keeps this movie creepy for me is that he actually does kind of a good job of seeming like an old man, but there are times where he has to switch mm -hmm. and he ends up becoming just Dan Aykroyd doing something. So yeah, yeah. When he, at the very beginning, he's kind of talking to them, kind of like, oh, and then he like slams his fist and you can see him get yeah, real angry. The first time you see him on screen um, is actually when he shifts. Um, yeah. when his first few minutes of screen time, he's uh, hidden behind a book stack mm -hmm. and he's behind a desk and it's raised up above the, above the main cast who are all looking up to him. And, uh, for a few minutes, he's just like a feeble old man that's just rambling and incoherent. And then he loses his temper and he stands up and just whips into this like crazy energetic mode that it's pretty clear he's like weaponizing his uh, appearance mm -hmm. where it's like, I can be weak and defenseless if I want to be, but 
when I when I need to, when I need to get shit done, I'm 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 still there. <laughs> so he's crazy like a fox, I guess. <laughs> crazy like a fox. <laughs> uh, but he's supposed to be really old. I think he's supposed yeah, to be almost a. He's, supposed to be he's 100. over a hundred. He's supposed to be over a hundred. Yeah, he talks about having. I think he was born in the 1800s and he fought in World <laughs> War One. World War One. <laughs> like they're doing the math in their head. Like wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Um, there's a there's a specific scene where. Chevy Chase is going through his room, going through uh, the judge's room. Yeah. And he's not in there, and he sneaks up behind him, and then he's going to try to stab him. And that was the really creepy part, because he starts moving fast. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, he switches, he just switches. Yeah, it, it turns into, like, a swashbuckling routine. Yeah. Where he's, he's fighting off Dan Aykroyd, who has, like, a cane sword or something. Yeah, of course. And, and Chevy Chase is defending himself with a bedpan. <laughs> That, yeah. that was full, <laughs> and he stepped in it, and he's using his Ugh. bedpan foot to ward off the sword attack. And yeah, Dan Aykroyd is using every bit of his not-quite-in-shape physique, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in that moment. Um, not to get too far into the characters of Bobo and Little Devil, mm-hmm. which I think is supposed to be Little Devil, but he has a speech impediment. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Demi Moore was kind enough to share in that for some reason. Yeah, that was annoying. Um, a little bit. That was a little annoying. Um... No, there was something that I thought about with those two characters as well. Is when they when they see her, like they're they're very cartoonish and they're very much overweight. But when they see her, they start running. But it doesn't look like how someone with their size and frame would run. Yeah, the fat suits were not the highlight of the makeup effects. Yeah. That's for sure. But this the I think there's some the thing I find creepy about that is I saw this in um, True Detective season one. Um, if you haven't seen True Detective I Season 1, um, with, without giving too much away, there's a character in there who's a very big guy. And um, the two detectives are going to arrest him. And he, one detective says, freeze. And he just goes, no. And he's standing right next to the woods. And he's huge. He's yeah. probably like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, three, probably 300 pounds, 280, 300. It's a big guy. Big guy. And he just, one leap, jumps into the woods. And <laughs> it's, really, it's really creepy because... Like you just realize like how much power this big guy yeah, has. He looks like, like he would move real slow, but he just choom, he's, just a, sh- he's a bear. Yeah. He's a bear man. <laughs> it was a really interesting shot because they thought that they had this thing wrapped up. Like they're like, This is this is it and then like, oh no, this guy's actually gonna be even more trouble. Mm. And that's what I thought about when I saw when I when I went back and was thinking about this movie, I'm like, there's that element where somebody's moving differently than when you're expecting. Mm. Um, which I guess I just find a little creepy. I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah they, they get abducted uh, by John Candy and brought to the brought before the judge, and he, what, sentences them to stay the night? Because he hasn't determined their sentence? Yeah, he hasn't determined their sentence. Now, she, he, the judge is actually very fond of Demi Moore. Uh, she's, trying to be su- she's trying to be subtle, but Chevy Chase is doing his thing. If he's not being clumsy, he's being a smartass, and that's pretty much how he is in most of his movies. He's either yeah. clumsy or... Or a smartass. He's he's doing that, but he's like doing it half-assed. Like he's just not all there. He's he doesn't he doesn't he never takes anything seriously. Yeah. When he's being a smartass, same in Caddyshack. He's playing just a little bit, I guess, a richer character than this one. He's just, yeah. He's supposed to be a yuppie. Yeah. And like there's there's like a, a running theme throughout like American culture where there's like I mean Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of embodies it where it's mm. like there's this fear that city folk have places in this country that they'll be ostracized or maybe even harmed because yeah. it's like you're not you're not from around you're here not from around is here, a, is 
that's a common phrase that some people are very f- afraid or they're going to hear someday. Yeah. And these characters, like, they even make sure to put, like, Demi Moore in, like, a skimpy, like, vacationer's outfit that's, mm-hmm. like, a white jumpsuit with, like, like, a, a w- Marilyn Monroe dress top or it's something. It's like a white pantsuit. Yeah. But it gets ripped down a little bit. Yeah. And he's he's in, like, like almost Just like... A, it's like a silver gray suit. Yeah. So they're, they're not dressed for, yeah. for their environment. <laughs> and yeah the what was it the uh the scene where they get dropped into the floor um i noticed something that it was always told me that um it's a sign of a troubled production or an incompetent production mm-hmm. um excessive use of adr okay um, oh my gosh and weekend at bernie's is yeah all ADR. yeah when when you mentioned well when i mentioned uh chevy chase Seeming like he wasn't all there, like he was kind of half-assing it, that jumped out at me. Is gotcha. a lot of as his, an actor, you're saying him as an actor. Him as an actor. Okay. okay. Um, a, a lot of his lines are added in post. A lot of his quips when they're like running away from things are very clearly dubbed, mm-hmm. and it almost feels like you're watching a Popeye cartoon, where just some guy <laughs> went into the recording booth and was like, "Oh, I should make this funny. <laughs> like we forgot to say anything on the set, so we should do it after the fact." <laughs> But yeah, they're um, they're trying to escape basically. Yeah. Um, and and then you mentioned that they were dropped into the trap door. Yeah. Uh, there's a trap door of either toys or stuffed animals. Uh, same thing in Little Monsters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're You're dropped right. into the right. the stuffed animals. That's a that's a funny thing in this movie is there's there's a lot of uh, well there's not really any themes because <laughs> no. the story is threadbare but there are like um, aesthetic themes though. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get to that, but the one thing that jumped out at me is there's a lot of gadgetry in this movie. Yes. And being as Dan Aykroyd was involved in the writing of Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. I'm not terribly surprised by that, because mm-hmm. the, they have toys, you know, in Ghostbusters, and he's he's very big on gadgetry and stuff like that. And there's a lot of trap doors and uh, a drawbridge, well, a mechanical be... drawbridge, and a, a machine called the Bone Stripper. I love the Bone Stripper. I love the song that plays during the Bone Stripper. I love it. But no, they're in a fun. Let's let's be clear about that. They're in a fun house. Yes. What we would consider a fun house, yes. except for it's a. This is more of a dark comedy. So the fun house is actually a death house, but not like H. H. Holmes death house. Well, yeah, it feels kind of like a old Abbott and Const- Abbott and Costello meet like the Wolfman or something. Yeah, where it's like this is a spook house where. Crazy shits around every corner. And I think they do, uh, like, there's interesting things like, um, the, I guess, the death roller coaster, um, the sliding walls, they have the sliding wall moment. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where Chevy Chase and Demi Moore, and uh, by now... Taylor Negron the, and his... This Brazil- is a little later yeah. in the movie, so the Brazilianaires have made their exit already. Yes. But it's just the two of them, and they're both trying to escape, and... Uh, John Candy helps them. Mm. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. John Candy helps them escape because he has a little bit of a change of heart. He's still in the movie, but as a different character. Well, he's being bribed, too. They're like, we will make you so rich if you get us <laughs> out of here. And he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's get these guys out of here. Yeah. but um, So Demi Moore and Chevy Chase are trying to escape the mansion. And um, when they first get out of the room that they're being housed in, uh, they step out into a hallway that suddenly... that. The wall, the end of the hall starts running towards them. Basically, yeah. you've it's, seen a movie, you've seen it. You yeah, know exactly. What we're talking <laughs> so about. So it's basically the equivalent of like the Indiana Jones boulder yes. in, in Raiders, and they have to escape through a side door. And it's shot and edited with an intensity that, if I was a kid or something, I probably would have been scared. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, they also have that big slide that they end up going down into separate 
Um, they, uh, yeah, this is what happens is they get into that other room and then I think they go down a slide. They also have uh, in the mansion um, paintings have eyes basically. They yeah. have the, the lookout where you can see again them. classic horror tropes. Classic horror trope. Uh, they end up going down a huge slide and then they go into separate rooms and now they're starting their own adventure. Um, this is where Chevy Chase sees the judge um, and he you know tries to stab him. Yeah. Uh, Demi Moore she ends up finding uh, Bobo and Little Devil. Um, <sighs> one played by Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. The other guy was in like Spies Like Us and something else. I'm um, sure it was a close friend, somebody who would be willing to wear a shit covered baby suit. It was gross. <laughs> so they're actually very, very cartoonish. Yeah. Um, there's actually some really cartoonish elements in the movie. Very, um, very. I don't know. This is from the mind of the Aykroyds. So, do you? I sometimes feel like this should have. This could have almost just been a cartoon. Um, it could have been. In fact, like some of the character Scooby designs Doo. feel like like cartoon characters. It, it does Scooby Doo actually. It feels like a, yeah. almost like a feels like kind of like Scooby Doo is live action. Yeah, you know, you're exploring a, a haunted mansion. Uh, yeah, you just ha- separate the group. Um, I actually I don't really think that John Can- John Candy doesn't really do much for me in this movie. I feel bad for him actually because he's a fantastic actor. In he's general, very funny. No, he's incredibly funny, and he's never once asked to be funny. No, and unfortunately, so he John Candy plays two characters in this film. Yes, uh, he makes his entrance in the film very early uh, when they're driving through the town of Vulcanvania, Vulcanvania, which is the province where this judge resides over, and I guess yes. probably is like the principal landowner there as well. But it's this really depressed town that is like like you said like a speed trap essentially yeah and the scene where they drive through there is genuinely a little bit unsettling mm-hmm. it's a lot of people glaring at them from their porches and it's very it's obviously a very depressed area yeah um so john candy is the like state trooper basically like the sheriff and he uh chases them out of the town because they they did like a california stop at the one stop sign in the town oh yeah that's right it was yeah uh, he's following well, them because chevy chase like did a rolling stop. Yeah, yeah, he did a rolling stop at the one stop sign in the town, and then the Brazilianaires are the ones who egg Chevy Chase on to speed. Die fast, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it was generally kind of funny. Uh, I I think that Taylor Negron, uh, he actually he's actually dead, but uh, oh. if you see him in anything, he's really he's in Biodome uh, <laughs> with another Baldwin brother with oh. uh, with Stephen Stephen Baldwin Stephen Baldwin um, and he's he's pretty funny in there Stephen I operate at one speed Baldwin uh, <laughs> so where I I think where we figure out like this judge is not messing around is when Daniel Baldwin Daniel Baldwin is yeah that the right one yes okay fat fat Baldwin fat Baldwin fat he, Elvis Baldwin uh, he's in a car with uh, a another guy and two two ladies and they are again drinking and i believe he had cocaine in his pocket mm-hmm. they try to get out of the ticket um john candy's a boy scout uh, and he's just like not gonna happen he actually pulls a gun on him uh yeah john it's actually kind of weird because john candy is uh, he is the picture of politeness and cheeriness throughout this movie i mean he's very stern but he always uses his sirs and pleases and thank yous he is canadian. he never raises his voice yeah he's very canadian, he's very canadian. um but even when he pulls over chevy chase i mean given they were having like a hundred mile an hour chase yeah uh through a construction yard um he has his gun just out like he doesn't even have it his gun like he doesn't even have his hand like on the holster he just has it out and it's like a 
SMG. It's like a submachine gun. Yeah. Like, just out. He's like, yeah. sir, can you face the vehicle? And he just has this gun just hanging out there. I mean, you're going to cooperate if a cop pulls out a machine gun. Yeah, and Daniel Baldwin, when he's being told he's going to be getting a ticket, he pulls a gun on John Candy, and Candy's response is to very promptly raise his gun and put it to his head. You are drunk as fuck. And you are going to pull a gun out on a cop for giving you a ticket. Gun on a cop at a very small town that's probably very bored. <laughs> you, should, you should kiss him on the lips. <laughs> he gave you a ticket. Like, if you're like, oh, you're a little drunk, but you know what? I'm just going to give you a ticket. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, well, that's also the, the time, like, the, the era. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they do not do that. So that scene um, directly leads to um, oh. Daniel Baldwin being presented before the judge. Them laughing at him. <laughs> they just they see him and they can't handle it. They're they're all fucked. The one dude's crying like he just can't handle so it. So the one thing Kyle failed to mention about mm. this very good makeup for Dan Aykroyd is that mm. somebody sculpted the nose to intentionally look like a, a penis. penis. There's a and in a couple of choice close up shots, they actually replace it with a separate sculpt. Which is which is very explicitly just a penis. If you look up the movie and you want to see Dan Aykroyd's makeup, it's like the first picture that I, you see. I bet you you just type in the title it in Google Images. That's the probably fir- the first thing. It's they'll the throw first up. image that comes it's up. It's probably the most memorable thing for people who don't remember the movie. I was trying to let them, if they haven't seen it, I was going to let them be no! surprised by that. They need to know. There's a dick on that. The nose. people deserve to know. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the pacing of the movie gets a little choppy at this point because we go from. Strictly following Chevy Chase and mm-hmm. Demi Moore and the Brazilianaires to after they get dropped through the trap door during their hearing, they're they're just trapped. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we cut to Daniel Baldwin just being drunk and then all of a sudden it turns into the judge's story for like twenty minutes. Well this is where we learn that well at first they just think this is Incon- an inconvenience. They don't really know how serious the judge is. This is where we go from like playful horror comedy to almost dark comedy. Um the four of them are found guilty, the Daniel Baldwin crew. Uh, and this is where they run the Bone Ripper, mm. which is... A, a bone stripper. It's a, a... Just picture a backyard roller roller coaster somebody put up. Not high at all. Um, <laughs> no seat belts. And it just goes into... It basically launches them into... What, 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 how would you call it? It's a series of tenderizing pistons arranged go. in such a way that they're meant to look like that of a human mouth. Yes. In fact, it's the entrance to to the pistons uh, is shaped like a human mouth, and there's even like a painting of a face and the word bone strippers suspended over it. It looks like something the Marauders from The Road Warrior. It looks like something that they would have come up with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the song that plays over it, I don't... Is it just called Bone Stripper or what? I don't know who did the song. <laughs> it's it some, sounds, it it's sounds some like, sort of heavy metal song that fits perfectly. This is 91, so it sounds like Motley Crue, Poison-ish, Some, just right on the... something. There's a little bit of party in there, more... more more party, less devil. <laughs> it's very, it's very exciting when it happens, and they're actually having a good time while they're riding it. Well, they yeah, I mean it. they're still drunk. They probably have no idea what's happening. But the way they get out to this machine is that, uh, oh, yes. I think the judge's name is like Shire Reeve, or, or is that his title? I never I'm quite not, got. I, I never quite figured that out because it's I, such antiquated language that's. It seems like something that old timey folks might be familiar with. But me I, being from the West Coast. Uh, Shire Reeve, what? I just, I just Vulcanvania. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just referred to him as the judge, Judge Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, so, the way they get out to this machine, though, is when he's doing his sentencing. Um, 
So we've already seen that he has a trap door in front of his bench, in front of his judge's seat, basically. Um, he has like an antiquated, like it looks almost like an like a control board for like an organ, I guess. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, so it's some because sort he of does actually play the organ. He does have an organ he that he does one. use later in the movie. But during this scene, he uh, so we've already seen the trap door, but he has a separate button that he presses that turns the floor in front of him into a conveyor belt. Yes that feeds out to a door off to his side then swings open and spits out whoever's trapped on that conveyor mm-hmm. into the bone stripper which i don't know if that was diegetic music or not like if like if daniel baldwin actually heard that heavy metal music playing as he was on the roller coaster i think he might have actually i think it might have been playing because i mean the way everything's rigged up in this house i wouldn't be surprised if they just had that tape like on like set up to turn on with the bone stripper it play it does play when chevy chase it plays again the it second time again. we see the bone i stripper. think it's the theme music for the uh for the bride so maybe it's connected to the control panel that he turns on the conveyor belt it turns on the bone stripper and it plays the song yeah and he's talking to chevy chase over the or yeah, he ta- yeah, yeah he talks to him over so the so it's probably all rigged up. wow this That's guy had a cool. lot of time on his hands oh, he's <laughs> crazy yeah um, but basically, the plot of the movie is they're just trying to get away. That's mm. the that's the whole thing. So okay. I mentioned that John Candy plays two roles in this movie. Yes, his mute sister. Yes, he plays his own sister in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's him dressed up in drag. Um, I think they, I think his makeup got a little bit more love than Bobo and Debo. Little Debo. Little Debo. Little Debo. Because um, his makeup's pretty decent. His outfit is very 1950s, like homemaker yeah um it's so unfortunate though that he's mute yeah um the character is basically supposed to be like a super strong ultra loyal daughter to the judge john candy yeah no he's a big guy (laughs) wig and wig and lipstick aside he's a that's a that's a big woman (laughs) he's really big so there's a couple of scenes where he grabs both demi moore and chevy chase by like the back of the neck by like the scruff of their neck where do you work out (laughs) yeah yeah one of his one of his quips one of chevy chase's quips is where do you work out where do you work out and the impression you get is that if this lady gets her hands on you you're not gonna get away and in fact there's like a scene where he she has she he uh john candy as the lady has a demi moore like she's military pressing her over her head. Yes, and yes. she's only saved at the last second by Bobo and Little Debo. Little Debo, because they want her for some reason for their own. Because she's so nice to them. Because the uh, the Cause judge she acknowledges their existence. The judge hates those two. Like he calls them spoiled rotten, but they're two fat babies in diapers <laughs> that sleep outside. Yeah, and only eat cereal. They're not allowed in the house. They're and apparently, they the built house. all those sculptures in the junkyard or whatever his voice sounds like um horror from uh, page master who is frank welker uh i'm not allowed in the house well you know i think the budget would have jumped like 10 million dollars a thousand dollars if you got frank well well if there was an, i don't remember seeing any wildlife in the movie no there was no so wildlife. if if there's no animals to have voices then frank welker doesn't need to be here he hadn't hit his he hadn't quite hit his stride yet well like, for the all 90s we... were coming well, like, no, he was active in the eighties, man. He was he was Megatron. Well, he did. He was uh, he was Fred. half of the Transformers cast. He was Fred, in uh, he was Fred from Scooby Doo. Yeah, and he was like every monster on the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, to cartoon. Think about all the cartoons from the late eighties to the mid to late nineties. Like I'm just saying, the man was active, and and for all we know, you know, like one of those door creaks, mm-hmm. like with that someone could have been him. that could have been him. That could have been him. 
It's very possible. It's like, you know, like if somebody like drops a glass on the floor, that shattering noise, that could have been Frank Welker. It's actually funny. In the in the Page Master, he, there's, they, horror does a whole bunch of different screams, basically, a whole bunch of different yells. And I'm like, that's just him doing. That's his demo. That's just his demo. <laughs> <laughs> you need me to be a horror book? Okay, I got it. <laughs> No, I could I could totally see Frank Welker showing up for that production, and just being like, "What kind of clown shoes operation is this?" It's like, "Give me that script." It's like, "Let me let me just read for everyone." <laughs> it's like, what, "What's that kid doing here?" It's like, "That's Macaulay Culkin. He's he's how we're financing the film." It's like, "Get his ass out of here! Where, I can be him." Where is the dog? Yeah. Where is the dog in the movie? <laughs> um, so we need to talk about the one cousin. I, she doesn't really add much. She's just annoying. Uh, the the lady cop. She's just. Yeah, she even makes she makes a like a unexpected ed- exit at the end of the film where she dies. Actually, she's brutal. Actually, I think she's just as twisted as the judge uh, because she tries shooting at them at the end when they're on the train. I mean, she's got a mach- I think it's an M sixteen. She's shooting them. Oh, trying yeah. to shoot she's with an M16. she's she's got some sort of armalite something or other throughout the whole movie, and then yeah, she's got like a Ruger or like some sort of something something or other with a banana clip and a scope. <laughs> like she, at the beginning, she's like, I hope they get out of line. Like she's like really hoping yeah, that they she's, get out of line. Yeah, she's basically supposed to be John Candy's subordinate. Yeah. So this is cop John Candy, not lady John Candy. Yes, regular John um, Candy. She's supposed to be his subordinate. She's actually responsible for getting them arrested because mm-hmm. what ultimately stops the car chase scene is she pulls up in front of them mm-hmm. with her rifle and then that they obviously don't want to crash into her. Um, but yeah, she's she's a true believer. Yes. <laughs> um, John Candy, um, as you mentioned earlier, makes an exit early in the movie. He does. Because the Brazilianaires, I don't know how this was written into the script. It's act- It stood out to me as a bizarre moment. So there's this protracted dinner sequence in the movie oh, that d- deserves to be covered in detail. But um, the Brazilianaires are there, and at some point, your boy, he just stands up, He's like, we are going. Yeah, we are going. <laughs> so and then he, he just declares that he's had enough. Oh. And he and his sister jump out the window. It's so funny. And then the cousins start shooting your at him, pe- and, and your, they successfully get away. Your pickle shooting thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just he just is so disgusted he's that the, he leaves. I think they're the funniest. They're the funniest characters in the movie. Like they they're the they're the comedy relief. It's probably it's supposed to be Chevy Chase. But they leave but, halfway through. I know, but them just them leaving is still really funny. No, I like that they cut back to them continually because mm-hmm. something like that, something like this could easily happen in a movie where the characters just leave. Or uh, more expected, I guess, would have been them being killed. That would have actually been that would have been pretty funny. But I think we, you were almost expecting that with the two characters like yeah, that because they're obnoxious. But when they're making their escape, they jump out the window. Mm-hmm. They're being pursued. They're being shot at. They come to the moat. Uh, Which, that, yeah, smells like Sao Paulo, according the to sm- them. Yeah, uh, two different sources. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this smells like Sao Paulo. Yeah. Um, they wade across the moat and they do a lot of comedic mugging. It's actually pretty successful. Like the. <laughs> These two characters are very strange because they're brother and sister. Yeah. And the relationship is questionable. They're very, they're very, very close. Yeah, they're uh, very close, very passionate. passionate. I still use I still use the quote, close your mouth. <laughs> when, they, when they go into the mouth. I use it all. Close like, your mouth. Close your mouth. It's so funny. Yeah, he's basically kicking her off the edge into the water. Yeah. But then we cut back to the mansion and like Chevy Chase and Demi Moore are struggling to get away too. Yeah. 
and then we cut back to the Brazilianaires, and they've made it across the moat, and they're like cheering, they're they're excited, and on the other side is John Candy waiting with yeah. his with his gun, and through some clever convincing, you said they like offer him all like he's no no, no, no a vacation yeah a vacation he's like you could use a vacation you could yeah be head he, of our security. he he just like cold reads him really quick yeah. um, your boy the Brazilianaire he he looks John Candy up and down and he just like you, you could use a vacation yeah, it's. it's <laughs> Well, you, you can tell he has a very strong... Because you can see him kind of huff occasionally when the judge is talking. He just kind of rolls well, his eyes. It's because he's a, he's a by-the-book kind of guy, and yeah. he knows deep down that this ain't right. Mm-hmm. And he says, I think at one point, he's been doing this like his whole okay. life. Yeah, okay, so that's actually a good point. So when we cut back to uh, Demi Moore and Chevy Chase's character, they're, I think they're in the attic now. Um, so what's happening is, is they're being watched, and they're locked into certain locked into certain rooms and then the door will open and like oh we can get out of here finally they open up one of the doors I think they end up in the attic and they're uh, on all the walls are all the licenses so oh, yeah. at the beginning they the judge had taken their licenses and they get up there and they can just see and like, there's hundreds there's probably thousands up there um, so you are getting the sense that anybody that comes here is not leaving yeah um, yeah, um, they they have like a couple of celebrity guests listed up there, like Jimmy Hoffa is mentioned. Oh, and like, oh, Jimmy but, Hoffa, yeah, yeah. Um, that actually is the one element that feels closest to this movie is severely lacking in terms of like characterizations and 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 uh, character motivations. Um, so, banker, exactly. Okay, Bank, banker is what gets the ball rolling as far as pot is concerned. Yes. So the but then they contradict it with that, which is where my nitpicky brain starts to kick into high gear. Is because the reason why they're it the reason they reason out that the reason they're being kept here is because Chevy Chase works in finance or something. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, I work in finance. Uh, banker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's like a he works for like a financial publication or something. Yeah, something like and that. And immediately the judge labels him a banker. And then when we're looking at all the licenses, um, and during the dinner scene in particular, it's basically said that some investment folks screwed the judge over when he was like at war or something. And forevermore, he has a grudge against bankers. Yeah. And so that that element makes it seem like Chevy Chase's punishment is unique in some fashion. Mm-hmm. But then we're shown that Daniel Baldwin gets killed for basically no reason, and then we're we're shown all these license like driver's licenses and things of that nature for not bankers, well, and it and it starts to fall apart a bit because it seems like this guy is just out to get everyone as opposed to just bankers. Well, I think that he is. He has it out for bankers, but he could also give two shits about anybody else that breaks the law. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing with Daniel Baldwin's uh, group is that they definitely needed to go to jail, 100%. Yeah. Um, Daniel Baldwin should be going to prison. You can't pull a gun out on a cop. You, you can't do that. So they die because he's just like, yeah, well, all right, that's, that's it. I don't really like these I don't really like these people. That's my I guess it's just to me. It's like a little bit of a missed opportunity because even the later elements of the plot start. I mean, the, the plot is kind of a mess. Like this movie is a mess. If I'm being it, it, honest, it's, it's but a mess, yeah. um, is it Aldona? Is the name of the daughter? I think Aldona. And that Aldona. That's, yeah, that it, sounds. It's hard enough. to it's hard to pin down because Dan Aykroyd's speaking through dentures and is yeah. putting on a weird accent. But um, Aldona. Um, 
later in the movie a huge part of the plot is he's trying to get chevy chase to marry his daughter yes because his claim is that aldona so john candy and drag was a looking looking at chevy chase in a way that's like oh yeah and john candy's uh, pantomime is actually very good like he he does that really well yeah he's he's slipping him looks and he's like making little you know effeminate noises and and you 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 the visual storytelling tells you enough yeah but but he's a banker (laughs) yeah and not only that um this judge character who lives in this sculpture junkyard and in this decrepit old house is offering him money or something in yeah. exchange for marrying his daughter so it just it comes out of nowhere and it, it's a huge element of the plot towards the end too well i think so that, he goes from trying to murder chevy chase and all of his friends to suddenly he wants him to take his daughter's hand in marriage and be part of the clan and like carry on the family name well he says he i th- he kind of has a moment where you can see his i quote unquote humanity where he's just like <laughs> i think bangers are terrible but you know, I love her, and it warmed. He's like, it warmed my heart to see her so happy. I mean, when the merit, when the wedding doesn't happen, he is fucking furious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And maybe, maybe that's why all those bankers died. I don't know. Maybe. That maybe. Just, yeah. Maybe they kept spurning her advances or something, and that's mean, why he kept killing them. I mean, who's gonna say yes to John Candy in a wig? That's that's tough. That's that's a tough one. I mean, there's there's somebody out there for everybody. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, just gotta find the right guy. Can we talk about the digital underground yet? Okay. Okay. Thank okay. you. So, <laughs> you've the, been you've been vibrating in your seat. <laughs> the, di- the digital underground, uh, the entire band, including Tupac Shakur, yes, uh, are in this movie with hair. <laughs> with hair. Um, I think that the, they're actually really funny. I don't mm-hmm. like this in movies where I think they probably wrote a song or had a song. For the soundtrack, I didn't look at the soundtrack. Uh, I'm guessing there was one though, because they were pretty. They were really big at this time. Um, but you've got Shock G. You know Shock G. He's the guy with the uh, the glasses and, and nose. Humpty, Humpty. That's the Humpty. Yeah, it's yeah. the guys that do the Humpty dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Shock G is the guy with the uh, guy with the, uh, the thing on his the nose. Guy with the, the, thing, the, the guy, guy with the voice. <laughs> but they actually have a lot of funny. I don't want to say what they. I don't want to say their lines, but it's just little, just little lines here and there that they're really funny. Yeah, no, they're very endearing, and and uh, they're used well in the movie for the, like the one they, scene they're there. <laughs> Two scenes because they mm-hmm. they do a song and then they come back. Um, but pay attention to the digital underground. They have some funny, uh, some some funny well, lines in there. Real quick though, yeah. Um, after the, I believe it was after this movie, uh, Shock G co-produced um, Tupac's first album. So, wow, I didn't know that Shock G actually helped launch Tupac. He was oh. a co-producer for his first album. So, so this was like a glimpse of the future. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was weird because I'd seen the movie and when I was really young and I didn't know who Tupac was and then I knew who Tupac was and I went back and watched it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he's in uh, that. That's Tupac. He's in uh, Nothing to Lose or Nothing But Trouble. Uh, yeah. uh, there was. <laughs> it's just funny to see Tupac in there so uh, spinning wild theory here um, I don't know too much about Dan Aykroyd as a person uh, but I do know that you know he's he's very into some very strange stuff uh, he has a brand of vodka uh, Crystal Skull yes um, he will tell you all, everything you ever want to know about aliens if you, <laughs> if you get him rolling and uh, the man is um, I think one of his nicknames at one point was the King of Exposition, because if you if you need someone to deliver an entire page of text in twenty seconds, articulately, mm-hmm. 
he can do it. Like he's got motor mouth powers. Th- like he's very good at that. I think he has. Um, I don't know this for sure, <laughs> but I'd read somewhere that he may be like schizophrenic. I or... wouldn't doubt it because the the way he's able to process his his verbiage, like at least when he was younger, anyway, is pretty remarkable. Like well, he he could put the speed from from brain to mouth was incredible. Uh, Zelensky, when he's Zelensky and Tommy. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God, yeah, I, I, I love that. God, I love that. Ice your balls. Uh, have some champagne. Have oh, on me. Um, I have a, a gif saved on my phone of him uh, telling uh, telling Chris Farley, uh, like, good, you've identified the problem. Next stop is washing it out. <laughs> but what I wanted to say about Dan Aykroyd is that after doing like Blues Brothers and things like that, I don't know how how true to his actual character that that role was, mm. but when you think of like the musical guests involved in in the Blues Brothers film, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Aykroyd was a music fan. And, I and he is. being as he directed and his brother wrote the script for this fucking movie, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the one that pushed to have the Digital Underground show up. Mm, and, and then he has his little musical number with them, and it seemed like something that didn't have to be there, but the enthusiasm level was very high. Interesting. I didn't and think about that. It just seemed like something that, I don't know, maybe it came from him. I don't know. Usually, like, usually musical guests and things of that nature are mandated by the producers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of times you'll see, like, Sony movies have Sony label artists attached to the film mm-hmm. because it's synergy, you know? Was this TriStar? <sighs> uh, Columbia, TriStar, one of those. I'm not entirely sure, but I don't know. Um, I don't want to get away from Dan Aykroyd just yet because he's one of the stars. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers produced this movie. Uh, we just pulled the DVD case. <laughs> yes, we have the physical copy. Yes, I swiped it from my dad's house. Uh, like, a, like a true American. Immediately. <laughs> like, we got nothing but trouble on DVD? Yeah. Gotcha. So I don't want to get away from Dan Aykroyd. And mm-hmm. in fact, like I, I think he is the crux of like everything this movie is about. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything we've been talking about has just kind of been pussyfooting around him as a topic. Yes. So let's get into it. Okay. Um, directed by him, screenplay written by him. He's arguably the lead actor in it. He is. This is his baby. Yeah. And I said earlier during this podcast, I feel like the phrase that sums up this entire film is mismanaged resources. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because um, we actually haven't been talking too much about the production values in this movie. Okay. But the sets, the props, the production design in this film are incredible. Yeah. It is, it is visually an extraordinary movie in some ways. The house is huge. It's supposed to seem huge. We only see it one time from the outside, and it looks it looks like the Adams Family home. Like, mm-hmm. kind of run down, pretty big. But... When we're, it's supposed to be much bigger than we actually think. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's got to be like four, I'd say at least four floors in this thing. Yeah. And they do a good job of making that seem real. Well, yeah. There's a, when you first enter the house, there's a massive staircase right in front of your eyes. It, like a classic mansion, I guess. Yeah. And there's like oriental rugs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that stood out to me the most is the production design in the sense that it looks like a hoarder's home. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this bleeds into the production design throughout the entire film. Like, almost every room is cluttered, but in this artful manner. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you think of 
like a, a hardcore hoarder's home. You think of newspapers stacked up. You think of tchotchkes and just little what's it's sprinkled yeah, on her foot. So, so many of the sets in this movie have that look, but done in a very artful, very intentional way. That's it's hard not to appreciate, even if the movie sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like even if the movie utterly fails in my eyes at being both funny and scary, but. All throughout, like I kept my eyes kept catching sights that were just really. It was kind of impressive just to see how much thought and how much love went into designing all this, and the reason why I use the phrase mismanaged resources is because I feel like things like the bone stripper and all the mm, gadgets yeah. and they have a fucking mechanical drawbridge and a moat with sculptures in it. Yeah, and there's a whole separate wing to the junkyard museum sculpture park thing that has like paul bunyan statues and stuff that we only see for one shot yeah so it's all these details and all these elements that dan Aykroyd, in charge of this production probably put a lot of his energy and time into putting on camera yeah as opposed to working with the actors (laughs) or supervising the script yeah because so much of it feels like it's haphazardly thrown together like the thing that stood out to me the most was the escalation in the plot using Daniel Baldwin as like, oh, now we're killing people. Yeah. That all happens when our main characters are just hanging out in a basement. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we forget about them for 20 minutes while Dan Aykroyd puts on a show and then kills Daniel Baldwin. <laughs> and it just feels like a very disorganized production where even from the quality of the performances, Dan Aykroyd seems like he's in it. Like, he's on board. Very much. I think that he's very much in it. The movie in his head that's being made, though, I don't think anyone else could see it. Because Chevy Chase just looks bored and confused. John Candy is not allowed to be funny. He's not allowed to be funny. Not allowed to be funny. And he's playing two roles. But you got to think, too, that these are guys that are his friends. Yeah. No, everybody's doing favors. These are all brothers of his friends. Like Bill Murray's brother. (laughs) I'd say Demi Moore is kind of in it. Um, Yeah. She's trying. I, I think she's. She I does she's some. She does some silly stuff like doing the goofy voice with little Debo. Like little Debo. She, there's a scene where she's playing cards yeah. with the baby guy. In the cage. She's in and, a cage. And they have a particular rhythm of speech and a yeah. goofy a string. Oh. Yeah, yeah, They're very. They're they're real life cartoons. Yeah, they're basically straight out of like the Page Master or something. And she joins in on it. And mm. I get the sense that maybe she was just improvising that for fun. And yeah. they left it in the movie. Probably. Because she, she looks like an idiot doing it. But you can tell that they had fun with it. But Dan she's, a- Remember, her character's very, like, she's kind of manipulating. At the beginning, she's talking to the judge. And oh, she's, yeah. Like, she's trying yeah. to butter him up. So I think her character realizes the situation, and she's very much trying to handle it well. And she realizes these two idiots are like, I just need to be very nice to them, be playful with them, match their enthusiasm, and I might get out of here alive. Her character is is fractured though mm-hmm. like that that's another thing that i've kind of been touching on is there's some, there's a lot of disparate elements in the script that feel like they lack direction mm-hmm. i guess in her case um like you said her her game is to try to manipulate where yeah. as soon as they get the traffic ticket her her play her ploy is to um, be very agreeable and just go with it yes and then just be done with it and move on chevy chase is the one who resists and it doesn't seem like he got them in any deeper water than they were going to be in anyway, so it's kind of pointless for the, him to do that. Yeah. But her her game is that she is trying to just buddy up to the judge. In fact, I think she like compliments him on his, his yeah. old age and his achievements and his rank as a judge and stuff, and he's receptive to it, but you can tell he, he's still not 
he he's not on board. Like yeah. like you can tell that he kind of likes her because she's Demi Moore, but <laughs> at the same time he's suspicious of her. But there's also that awkward scene where she's making out with Chevy Chase because he he doesn't even really try to sweet talk her. It's when they're locked in the bedroom together. Yeah. Um, John Candy as Eldona carts them off from the dinner table and throws them in a bedroom mm-hmm. together. Um, they just end up together. She, he's the reason that they're in this mess. Yeah. And yeah, there's and no he, reason. He for basically her. just like explains her own situation to her. Like he's like, "So we're going to Atlantic City because you're trying to like get back at some guy that dumped you or something." Yeah. And he's not even really sweet talking her, like complimenting her or anything. And all of a sudden, she just leans into him and starts kissing him and talking about how she's an overly agreeable person and gets in over her head. And then all of a sudden, she decides, "Oh wait, I should stop kissing you. You're nothing but trouble. Good night." I think. It's just a busted scene. I do like it. it I, there's a. It is funny when she, when she plops on the bed. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Well, when she her her yeah. goofy little like yeah like <laughs> yeah, Betty she, Boop walk over to yeah. the bed is kind of funny because you can tell that she, it's it's but, she's very off balance and like upset with herself. I think that's just because I think that's Chevy Chase plays a, a similar. He plays the same kind of character. Uh, Ty in uh, Caddyshack gets the hottest girl uh spies like a spoiler alert he gets the hot girl without trying he actually says something crude to her yeah and she's like absolutely let's go do this well he was super smooth and yeah and caddyshack but i'm guessing that's just how fletch he ends up well, with the lady i wouldn't be surprised if in the script it was supposed to go like that like he was supposed to be conveying the same character but the effort just isn't there. He doesn't, he, ne- it, he doesn't read as that kind of character. In his movies, he gets the hottest girl with no effort. Yeah. So um, I think maybe it was just written that way. I, I think it was an element of the writing where it's just the performance didn't flow with the way his character was actually supposed to be. No, his character should have been... He didn't redeem himself yet. Yeah. If he had redeemed himself, then yeah. Then yeah, he, it, it, like I said, I, I think of it as a busted scene. Mm-hmm. Like it's just probably should have just been removed... But um, one tip of the hat that I'll give Chevy Chase, one compliment I'll pay him. Mm-hmm. His hangover walk at the oh, beginning of the yes, movie yes. is pretty I fucking forgot, good. I forgot about the hangover so walk, So yes. early in the movie when uh, he first meets Demi Moore, when he first meets her, she's getting on an elevator with a cappuccino machine. I think so. Yeah, like and it's tucked under her arm and they get into an elevator together because apparently they live in the same building. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they have a little chat. She starts crying, and she ends up giving him the cappuccino machine, running off in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And later on, uh, he meets up with her at a party, which is yeah. how she ropes him into driving her out to Atlantic City. Anyway, um, after the like after the party, yeah. so the morning after, I guess, is when they're going to go for their drive. Mm-hmm. And we just get this scene where this elevator door opens into the parking garage. And Chevy Chase has these big sunglasses on, and he's like all dressed up to go out on the town. And he just like has this like, <laughs> like, like you can tell like those glasses are there for a reason, and he's just like walking so really slow. <laughs> so just a little, a little note here, uh, I I'm a, I drink, I'm a drinker. Um, Trevor is really not a drinker. No, I'm uh, not. He's not a drinker. So what this actually is is he was super excited, got drunk told her that he was going to go do something which a lot of us that are drinkers do we'll make plans friday night like <laughs> fuck yeah dude tomorrow we're going to go do this we're going to go to the game uh, yeah it's it's all going to happen and then the next day you wake up and you're like fuck i bought tickets to see the mariners tomorrow and i have to go cuz i've spent money on it that's isn't that how we did our first podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> 
I went over to see a good friend of mine I hadn't seen in a few months. Uh, we watched football, and we drank way more than I had planned to. So that was Sunday, and then Monday. Monday, I'm like, fuck, I gotta do that. <laughs> fuck, I gotta, gotta do that. All guy the, Trevor's house? Fuck. All the Predator movies? All the Predator we movies? We gotta do all the Predator movies? All the Predator movies? Jeez, it's I, us. I powered through, but if you listen to that one, just know that I was really sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... we. We've kind of picked it apart now. We've kind of. I just want to contribute one it. more detail about it. Dan Aykroyd. Um, I will give him this. He was all in. Mm-hmm. His Absolutely. performance is what I'd call a complete performance in the sense that, in his mind, this character was well defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew this character's backstory and motivations. Um, he spent a lot of time looking at himself in the mirror wearing that makeup because he's doing some stuff with his mouth, like the way he's like, oh yeah, he cocks his mouth off to the side and forms this like really iconic sneer, like it's like this weird sideways like yeah, yeah. And he's using his eyes, he's using his nose, he's making use of the costume and embodying the character. Yes. Only problem is no one else is in on the joke, and he's performing for himself on his own film set. Yeah. Working from a script written by his brother. I think the Brazilianaires knew what kind of movie. They were supposed to be the comedy relief of the movie. I feel like they're the most disparate, like least connected element of the movie, but I'm glad they were there. Yeah, they're I was really sad funny. to see them leave. They're really funny. I'm very glad that they didn't die, because they show up at the end of the movie with John Candy. Uh, he leaves the compound and comes to become their security advisor, mm-hmm. and now he's hooked up with the sister. And so happy ending for those three. Yes. Uh, Speaking of endings, I guess. (laughs) So yeah, so we'll just kind of wrap up the uh, movie. So essentially, they escape. Um, Not before Chevy Chase saves Demi Moore from certain death. Oh, yeah. So the contraption that they have put together to kill Demi Moore if uh, Chevy Chase does not show himself is four or five um it looks like the looks like plows. Part, of a, part of a bulldozer or something or yeah part of like a bulldozer or plows basically the sharp end yeah and they actually test it out by chopping a few watermelons yeah on some uh again some ga- gadgets yeah Stu- lo- stuff that probably cost quite a bit of money to construct it looks terrifying like it looks like an awful way to go well, yeah it, it looks like something out of like american gladiators like if they if they were killing <laughs> if folks they were killing people. <laughs> <laughs> What's the dude's name? Uh, Malibu. Malibu. Malibu is my hero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so he saves he saves her from that, and that is a one of the Ackroyds thought of that. So again, don't piss off the Ackroyds. Again, mismanaged resources. Did we really need this incredibly intricate device? Could we not have just had a guillotine or just a car to drop on her? It's kind of like a little bit of seven, like. Seven is so twisted, but there are elements of that movie you're just like, somebody thought of that, and that is fucked up. I'm I'm just looking at... Imagine this scenario on the set. Yeah. You're a script supervisor. You're you're reading through pages, and you're like, oh my god, what is this shit? (laughs) And Dan Aykroyd's like, supposedly the director, and he's like running around this junkyard set like... Looking at all the minutiae of all the gadgetry and stuff, he's like, oh, look at this pulley. Like, look, look what happens if I yank this cord. Like, look, this car drops, and there's an explosion over here. And it's I'm like, sure he was. Dan, Dan, we, we got to go over these pages. Like, what are we filming today? We'll figure it out. You know? <laughs> I can see him being that, because that's kind of his character on the Ghostbusters. He's the one that's like, let's go, go, go. Well, the, the theory with this movie is that it's an example of him not having 
um, Harold Ramis mm. to rein him back. <laughs> was he? I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was involved in this movie at all. I don't think so. Imagine but, what kind of a movie it would be with with but, Harold Ramis. But the involved. idea is, it's like this is an example of an idea guy without a practical guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the example that I used in conversation with my brother not that long ago was um, the computer game Doom. Mm-hmm. So there are two major personalities who worked on the development team for that game. There's John Carmack and John Romero. Carmack was the guy who built the engine, mm-hmm. who built all the behind-the-scenes stuff that made the made the fucker work. Romero was the guy who built the dynamics and the level designs and the feel of it. Gotcha. So Carmack is the guy who makes the engine run. Romero is the guy who gives it the heart, the soul. If you, ha- if you separate either one of these guys... So Romero is Aykroyd, Ramos is Carmack. Do you think there's like a three-hour cut of this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, but I'm just saying that yeah. this reeks of an example of a guy... A guy who has every idea in the world and all the energy in the world, mm-hmm. but none of the restraint to yeah, actually sure. make a focused 90-minute product. Right. <laughs> well, the movie is pretty much in the movie, the, and the movie literally explodes. At they, the, end. the house explodes <laughs> at the end, and we are, we assume that the the judge and his, I believe, the cousin, the the lady cop, is dead. Yeah. Um, and no, the lady cop is dead. She is dead. She falls into hell. Yeah, there like we go. literally falls into the earth. Yeah, yeah and there's fire. Um, yeah, but, the, the subplot is that, and I noted this. Um, there's like two throwaway mentions of what, how this, how this explosion actually happens. Yes, yes. So there's a mention during the dinner scene about the land being poisoned or like some it being like strip mined or something. Yeah. So there's like a coal fire underneath the mansion. There, uh, we'll just, just we'll just say there's a volcano. It's Silent waiting. Hill. It's waiting to erupt. Yes. Yeah, it's Silent Hill. There's a fire underground that won't go out. It shakes it, a few I, times, and they're like, hey, ooh, this might be the big one. There's a fire down below. <laughs> 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 and so we get that mention. That's about halfway through the movie. Yeah. Ten minutes before the end of the movie, there's a scene where Dan Aykroyd's cane pierces yes. the ground. Yes, And he says some garbled shit about fire oh, underground. No. I'm fine. And it, it, I didn't quite understand him. All I know is, holy shit, there's fire under there. Yeah. And then ten minutes after that, the entire fucking compound explodes. Yes. So the house is destroyed. Uh, everything is just going up in flames and falling into Our hell. heroes have escaped. The heroes have escaped on the train. Um, and then they are safe back in New York. Yes. Where we began. Um then he's watching Chevy Chase is watching the news while I believe Demi Moore is taking a shower or doing something in the other room um, he's watching the news and then he sees that there there's news coverage of the explosion and the house going down and he's just like this is crazy there's you know media coverage well, and they mentioned Vulcanvania I think and, mm-hmm. and he says get out of here you need to see this we, we forgot something they escape by train but when they get back to the city they explain everything to the oh, cops oh my god See, this is this is what I'm talking about. This is where the the yeah. plotting, the scripting gets out of control. So there are two conclusions to this movie. True. Uh, first conclusion, they make their escape. Yes. Via train, and the first thing we see after that is they go to the police. Brian Doyle Murray. Yes. Um, he's a cop, and they plead their case to the cops. Explain what happened. They even have like a whiteboard diagram, oh, yeah. and they cover like the entire layout of the house. So they get. An entire battalion of like national guardsmen and cops to come with them to the house. Yeah, and the cops insist that they go up to the front door and knock. Well, they thought that would be funny. Oh, let's go up. Let's go. Let's go up and knock. Yeah, yeah and, and 
Dan Aykroyd answers the door and uh, Eldona's with him and he tries to pretend that he's a feeble old man and then Chevy Chase is getting frustrated and then all the cops behind them break out into maniacal laughter yeah and it feels like something out of a fairy tale or something yeah see I thought that was going to be a false finish because mm-hmm. when you see things like that when you see like a, a bizarre scene like that where an entire crowd of like, I mean, it already looks like a cartoon because there's like 200 cops. Yeah, out there's there. a lot of cops. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. And so I was half expecting all the maniacal laughter to happen, get some tricky, like trippy editing, maybe some like smudges on the lenses. And then Chevy Chase is just like freaking out. And then he wakes up. Yeah. And it's like he hasn't escaped. That He was like asleep yeah. in the junkyard or something. That would have been creepy. That would have been a scary ending. That would have been a scary ending. And it's like, oh my God, I never escaped. But no, they play it straight. And then it turns out that all the cops are in Dan Aykroyd's back pocket. Yep. And then the random explosion happens. Then the, the explosion happens. And then they're back in New York. Then they're back so in New York. So we had this completely pointless scene with yeah. a giant, ex- giant expensive explosion. Yeah. <laughs> because there were miniature, not even miniatures. A lot of those were life-size like pitfalls and flames and stuff. Yeah. So giant, expensive, pointless explosion. They, they Mismanaged back. resources. <laughs> <laughs> They get back to New York, and then they're seeing the coverage on the TV about the explosion, and the the reporter has got um, somebody rummaging through the stuff, Like, but you can't see who it is. There's yeah. just a cloak or a blanket over him, and as he, he starts asking a question, you realize by the voice that it's... Um, it's Dan Aykroyd. It's, it's the, the Shire. It's, it's Shire Reeve. It's the judge, and it's a really creepy shot. Yeah, um, I, I think it's helped by the uh, grainy video quality. The grainy video quality, but Dan Aykroyd's uh, like the the judge. Like he's giving like sinister eyes. He's basically saying like, "Oh, I'm gonna go stay with my son-in-law because he was technically married to his daughter." But I think that brought it like it brought it back full circle, creepy, and then Chevy Chase literally cartoonishly uh, jumps through a wall yeah um the bugs bunny ending yeah um he he runs through a wall and leaves a like yes. perfectly human shaped yes. like i don't know what i don't know if you out there know what a cactuar is from final fantasy but it's doing the same body language pose that he was doing so it's like a human shaped hole in the wall ah so i was just fiddling around on my phone not paying attention to kyle yeah <laughs> and i was looking up a uh, ghostbusters 2 I don't want to talk about Ghostbusters 2 because that's a whole nether can of worms. But um, in Ghostbusters 2, there's that scene where Ray gets possessed by Vigo. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Ghostbusters 2. Spoiler. Oh, I'm so sorry, Kyle. Anyway, all you need to know is Dan Aykroyd wears heavy makeup in that movie. Mm-hmm. Twilight Zone, the movie. Dan Aykroyd, again, wears heavy makeup in that movie. He's in the, I've only seen... I've seen some of the Twilight Zone movie by now. I really liked it when I was young. My dad showed it to me when I was maybe unreasonably young. It's it's a lot of fun, especially John Lithgow's scene. I might have to watch it because John you know, Lithgow is I like MVP John, of that movie. I really like John Lithgow. Oh, as, as do I. The Progresso Soup! <laughs> <laughs> was it? Butternut Squash! <laughs> but, um, yeah, so maybe Dan Aykroyd has a thing for wearing... Makeup? Like, like intensive makeup. Like, it just ran through my head, because as you were talking, I was like, when did Ghostbusters 2 happen? Because, like, seems like maybe it's, a, maybe it's a thing that he likes. Because watching him perform as this character, again, I can I can see him, like, really enjoying himself. 
But yeah. but again, the problem is I don't think anyone else is. <laughs> like yeah. I don't think anyone on the set was having fun with him. So anyway. yeah, the end of the movie is that uh, the judge like found his license or something, and like through some shenanigans or something, maybe maybe managed to process the marriage between his daughter and Chevy Chase, and is now going to track him down in New York. For a sequel, we'll never, ever, ever see. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's a sequel setup. I think it's just, um, it's it's a horror movie ending. It's, it is, but I like mine better. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying it's a horror movie ending. When you think you're out of danger, you're you're not out of it yet. Yeah, it's like no. the, un, not, the not happening. Well, I think, it's, I think the fact that Dan Aykroyd, um, again, Wikipedia supplied this information, so I don't know how accurate it is, but um, Dan Aykroyd apparently wanted the movie to be called Falconvania. Oh, really? Named after the town. Okay. And that title s- s- communicates more. Yeah. Like, the horror comedy that you that you think of this movie as being, yeah. that title means more to me than nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. It does, that doesn't mean anything. That, that makes Chevy Chase the... It's more about Chevy Chase because she says the... She does line, say that... She does say that... Nothing but trouble. I, I, I do like it when a movie is bold enough to say its own title. Yeah. Like, nothing but trouble. I mean, I, I want to see someday, like, Chris Evans look directly in the camera and say, like, Marvel's The Avengers Infinity War Assemble! Um, but yeah, so the reason, like I said, the reason I wanted Trevor to watch this was because I found it to be very creepy, and I found it to be a really fun movie. As a kid, I thought it was creepy, and as an adult, I still think it's fun to watch, because I watched it with my girlfriend um, uh-huh. not too long ago, and I'm okay. like, oh, you know what, I still like this movie. Um, I think it's uh, fun. Well, for me, as as having, as having a 31-year-old person who just saw this movie the first time, only knows it by reputation, um, I think it's very fun flat in terms of like scripting and performances the visuals really are easy to appreciate like i got a lot out of that um it is kind of incredible the talent that was involved in this movie like if you look on the imdb and stuff um dean kundi did the cinematography the he was the director of photography this man has worked with the spielbergs of the world like not just spielberg but like people of that caliber consistently And it shows. Like, it's a handsome film. Mm-hmm. Um, only problem is that level of care and detail didn't translate to the storytelling and the humor and the energy. Um, Michael Kamen did the music. Uh, he's a favorite composer of mine. He does good work. Um, I call him the king of the climax. King of the climax. <laughs> Not that climax, you <laughs> dirty <laughs> fuck. <laughs> king of the climax. <laughs> no, because um, his overture for uh, Die Hard mm-hmm. is like beautiful it's it's like this is this is how you you build up a moment because what i'm talking about is the music that plays all the way from carl <laughs> fighting john mcclain to the roof exploding mm-hmm. so that's like eight or nine minutes of just sym- symphony going nuts mm-hmm. and it's great <laughs> and it builds consistently so it's like composer and editor working beautifully together this movie though it's like we didn't talk about the leg- like the legacy leading up to this movie. Um, mm-hmm. My theory was that this movie was given birth by the success of Beetlejuice. Oh, like, yes. In, in my yes. mind, this movie would not have existed if Tim Burton hadn't made Beetlejuice and made all the money in the world. So, yeah, that that that's why I wanted him to watch this movie because I've been trying to... There, there's a certain genre that I'm, I'm trying to coin. You could kind of say it's hom- comedy horror... But I, 
I just think of it as movies that had an audience in mind, but things just kind of went too far and whoever they were, the, the balance to whoever they were looking at. Like, so comedy horror, they went a little bit more on the comedy and ended up being creepy with the horror. Yeah. So they had, they had something in mind. Little Monsters, I think it was supposed to be, um, I don't even know. I wouldn't even consider it. It's supposed to be comedy because Howie Mandel's in it. Oh, yeah. If you it's have Howie Mandel in the movie, it's large, supposed to be Large comedy. parts of it are a cartoon, but the, the lighting and the sets, especially in the monster world, are genuinely unsettling. They're very unsettling. and But think about who they're targeting. I mean, it's a it's little kids. kid. It's Fred Savage, and you have Howie Mandel. Yeah. No, this is meant for kids, and stuff like that is, you know, like I said, the best. some of the clearest memories I have are being kind of frightened by movies, and... I think they did a good job with that, but the Burbs too. Um, yeah, I think these were movies that are, I guess, PG thirteen on the nose. Like this is a, not well, supposed to be quite for. You kids. need to remember the timing P- of PG thirteen came like, about during this era. Like yeah. it didn't exist it didn't until exist. Uh, what was Red the f- Dawn was the first. I think that was the inception of it. Um, Deservedly, uh, Temple of Doom was kind of what got the ball rolling uh, because. When you think Spielberg, you think like, oh man, we can make so much money off of this, but it's like, PG? We have heart rippings, dude. That's the movie that, isn't that the movie that, I think that's the movie that forced the PG rating. Um, yeah, it PG-13, I think, was Red Dawn, but what got them talking about doing PG-13. Yeah. Jesus. And so that, that rating only existed for a few years before 1991, 1988. Well, the reason, the other reason why I wanted you to see this, I mean, one because of the uh, the creepiness of it but I think the comedy holds up I think the the parts that are funny like rewatching it I still was I still had chuckles at it and which is why I think it kind of held up the digital underground I think that the Brazilian airs are pretty funny mm-hmm. um, just those those parts I thought you know those little those little quirks that I found funny I'm like that I, they hold up for the most part um, little monsters there's not a there are a few funny things but I think I would rewatch that now just for the creepiness of it. The Burbs is still hilarious. Yeah. I still love the Burbs. Beetlejuice for all of it. Like no, it's just Beetlejuice is a remarkable film in a lot of ways. But I feel like I feel like a lot of people after the Tim Burton train got rolling. Uh-huh. So nineteen eighty eight Beetlejuice, eighty nine Batman, mm-hmm. like Edward Scissorhands may have happened around that time. I wanna say ninety, ninety one. Yeah. Um I think ninety two was Batman Returns. So Think think about what that meant to producers at the time. It's like okay, we have this quirky, bizarre, not quite horror, not quite comedy yeah. movie that is complete nonsense, but is really selling with audiences. Oh yeah, and look at like the cartoon programming that's on on TV at the time. It's uh-huh. just like wild and crazy shit was kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like Pee Wee Herman was in kids' televisions, like and was enrapturing them. So clearly, there's an audience for radical wild shit, mm-hmm. and. I feel like the producers were all kind of like hustling to just get on board with that. So I could see somebody presenting a script to someone in, I would guess, 1986, 1987, if if this came out, like 88 or 91, I think. I could see them presenting a script to some producers in like 87 and them thinking in the back of their mind, like, you know, this is probably going to work. <laughs> like, it actually works. It's like, Dan Aykroyd, have all my money. <laughs> just make sure to give it back. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I still enjoy watching this movie. Uh, would it on the whole? Did you would you watch it again ever? Um, I would watch it if it was on. I wouldn't. I wouldn't will. I wouldn't willfully put it into my DVD player gotcha. on my own. But if it was on, 
I, I think there's enough to it that I could point and laugh at it. And like, like I said, from a visual standpoint, I got a lot out of it. Um, That's... Ev- everything else, I was mostly bored and wanting a lot more. I, I, and and I, what yeah. what I was trying to say about Michael Kamen and uh, Beetlejuice was a uh, Danny Elfman did Beetlejuice's music. It was very bouncy, very wild. It had basically the Warner Brothers like fanfare theme in it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's winking at you. Like yeah. it's meant to be fun. It's like circus music. Yeah. And Michael Kamen is doing some goofy shit with his music in this one. But he just ain't got the same goofy in him. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> like Danny Elfman is like coming from Oingo Boingo and can play every instrument on the planet. Michael Kamen tends to be like more serious, like symphonic kind of stuff. And the soundtrack's kind of all over the place. It's it's trying. It's just not. It's not trying in the right way, I guess. So gotcha. it, it it feels like an imitation, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, now that you're caught up on cinema. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I'm supposed to wink and raise an eyebrow when you say that. Up on cinema. What are we? I think we're going to be talking about another movie here uh, pretty soon. Yeah, um, I had a movie that I wanted you to watch. Um, I believe for next episode you will be watching Undisputed Two: Last Man Standing I from 2006. Cannot wait. Okay, until next time. Yeah. See ya.